Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're so happy to be with you. We are. We are recording this um, very shortly after celebrating our 26th wedding anniversary. I'm so happy to be married to you all these 26 oh, years, you. my love. Me too. Um, it, is, it is a great gift. And we had um, an opportunity that, or we, we took a trip to visit dear friends of ours. We've known that long. Yes, we uh, met them before we got married, and they got married soon after we got married. So yeah. it was kind of a joint celebration of our anniversaries. Our anniversaries. <laughs> they live in Idaho, and I had an amazing kind of lifelong dream fulfilled, an amazing experience having this lifelong dream fulfilled. I love swimming holes i love creeks i love waterfalls he really does like really <laughs> like it's a it's just sings to me yep. when i was a little boy we would go to the public pool and there was a creek that we had to cross that was on the property of the public pool and i didn't want to swim in the chlorine i wanted to go swim in the creek mm. that was just it just always drew me i wanted to be in god's creation i wanted to have i don't know his water all over me and chlorinated water just didn't do it for me. Anyway, what happened in Idaho was that I went to a natural hot springs. Now, I had been to the kind of hot spring experience where they they take the natural hot water from the spring and put it into a swimming pool. Yeah, we did that in and Colorado we, we, one time. Yeah, we did that years ago. And we also did that in Idaho uh, yes. when we were out there. But I had the experience of actually venturing out into nature, yeah. crossing a frigid cold, I mean frigid cold, like this river we had to cross to get to the hot springs out in God's creation was so cold, it, you're like your legs and your feet felt like they were burning. They were so cold. So it wasn't super deep. You weren't It was like fully up to immersed. your knees okay. crossing the river. Uh-huh. And, and on the other side of the river was this trickling hot spring that went into these two different pools and it was like a 30 degree day yeah. it had there was snow some light snow yeah. on the ground but we got in our bathing suits and just went in this beautifully mm. warm water yeah heated by god's glory <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome <laughs> i you know i'd seen pictures of people doing that but i had never done it yeah. And it was a blessing to my heart. And you had a great description for it, Wendy. Share with our listeners uh, how you yeah, described I it. Yeah, I said you're, you're, before you left, I was just wanting to bless you on your way. I'm glad I didn't go, by the way. I didn't know about that freezing cold river crossing. But if I had gone, I would have been left on the far side of the cold river and waving at you way yep. over there in the hot spring. Because there's have no endured. way I would there's cross no the river. no way would you have done that. <laughs> no. So bless you that's awesome for you <laughs> but no what i said before you left was uh just to picture yourself in a in a womb that it's mm. like the earth mother earth in her warm water for warm you warm womb water yeah <laughs> from mother earth that's what it was it was heavenly yeah thank you lord for that special. sacramental experience yes. in your creation and thank you for the gift of wonderful friends yes 
We love you, Jay and Michelle. Thanks for hosting us out in Idaho. Yes. Any updates from the TOB Institute? I'll just share again what I shared in our last episode. We have two exciting courses coming up, both live at the TOB Institute uh, retreat that we rent here in Pennsylvania, Black Rock Retreat Center. Um, the first one is Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery from January 2nd to the 7th. It's my favorite course to teach. Love, 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 love diving into the mystery of Mary because therein we encounter the Word made flesh. And then we have a new course that we're offering for the first time. We've joined forces with Desert Stream Ministries, and we'll be offering the course Sexual Integration and Redemption from, uh, well, the first week of February, but it starts uh, the end of January. Mm -hmm. uh, you can check out that link as well. Uh, this is a course for anybody interested in the real pastoral application of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. How do we really live out the healing of our wounds? That's what this course will, will help you dive into. So check out those links, and if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to come, we'd love to have you. Yeah, and you can come tell us that you listen to our podcast. That's kind of a special thing yeah, as well. Yeah, we have well. lots of people when, at our courses, at our courses yeah. come there because they've heard about that's right. The courses from our podcast. And I, I just always love knowing the faces of people who are listening. Yeah. Because, you know, here we are just talking with one another. But to to have that real tangible sense of, of touching others is really a gift to us. Yeah, it helps us to imagine those faces. When we, mm -hmm. when we encounter people who listen to our podcast, we right. have those faces in mind when we're here in my office recording. That's right. Our first question then from a patron is from Hannah. Hello, Hannah. She says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. First, I'd like to say thank you and bless you for your wisdom and vulnerable honesty that you share on the podcast. I pray for you both and for the Institute. Thank you, Hannah. For continued blessing and for protection from the enemy who would want to trip up your good work. I like to listen to episodes of ACW on a bike ride out in the countryside here in the north of England. Wow. Or, or on a nice long walk with the dog. I want you to know that the way you articulate Theology of the Body is such a blessing to me. It's getting into my bones. It's also oh. getting into my PhD thesis. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Love it. My research on mystagogy in the early church and listening to you guys express again and again how God wants to unite with us and how deeply that's written into the order of our bodies is truly helping me to understand the church fathers and to write what I need to say in my own work. Awesome, Hannah. Wow, I, I really can tell that it's getting into her yeah. bones. That's great. She goes on to say, I'm an Anglican and I'm married to a wonderful, faithful man who has recently been ordained in the Church of England. Wow. We both are drawn toward theology of the body and feel like it articulates the precious truth about our humanity, sex, and gender, and our calling to union with God. I think the Anglican Church is in desperate need of this theology. And across the Western world, our denomination is, in my opinion, floundering catastrophically in our understanding mm. of sexuality mm. and gender. Mm. Though we've both felt drawn toward the Catholic tradition and also the Orthodox tradition, throughout our walk with the Lord, my husband has felt called to the Anglican Church and to the priesthood in it. And I'm called to be his wife. Do you have any words of encouragement or exhortation for us who want to be faithful 
and forthright and bring the healing truth of God in a context that often feels like a house on fire. Wow. Wow. God bless you, Hannah. That's uh, an amazing little window you've given us into your world. I'm so delighted that you've discovered John Paul's teaching. It's clear that you're a serious student of theology since you're going for a doctorate. I'm glad that what we're doing has been of assistance to you. Yes, yes, you are in a church that is burning. Um, but guess what? The, the Catholic Church is also on fire. <laughs> the, the enemy is after the bride. That's what he's after. Um, I, I can't help but be inclined as a Catholic to say to you, and imagine you're, you're probably already aware of this, but in case you are not, do you know about the Anglican ordinariate where you can become Catholic and retain your Anglican traditions and your husband as an Anglican priest could even become a Catholic priest of the Anglican ordinariate and remain married to you? Did you know all that? I'm just saying maybe that's a way to remain Anglican, but also be fully Catholic, right? And I love Pope Benedict XVI instituted this Anglican ordinariate as a way of for people just like yourselves who are attracted to the Catholic Church, uh, but also recognize the good elements, the beautiful elements in the Anglican tradition. The Catholic Church herself is saying, yes, there are beautiful, wonderful uh, liturgical elements, traditional elements, theological perspectives in the Anglican Church that can come right into Catholicism and be under the umbrella of the Pope in a way that you don't have to sacrifice your the things you love about Angl Anglicanism, and you can wed them to all that you love about Catholicism. So I would invite you to consider that. Um, I, I, I would say that, and, and this is I say with, with charity, I say with reverence and respect, but the reason that the Anglican Church is on fire in the way that it is, like a total collapse of an understanding of God's plan for the body, is because the Anglican Church has separated itself from God's plan for the body. And now what do I mean by that? The Anglican Church was started, and I know it's it's more complex than this, there are other factors at work, but one of the main factors at work in the Anglican rupture from Rome was Henry VIII's refusal of the Pope's verdict on the validity of his marriage. He would not grant an annulment to Henry VIII, so Henry VIII decided to start his own church, and in doing so, he separated himself from the body of Christ. Uh, he separated himself from the body that is the, the one bride, the, the one universal church. And he did so on the grounds of justifying divorce and remarriage. So again, I say this with respect, but also respect for the reality. The reality is that when you cut yourself off from the vine, the branch withers. 
and it's taken 500 years for that branch to wither in the way it's withering now. But I think in, in honesty and in respect for history and truth, that deserves to be looked at. Um, I, th I think one of the great tragedies of the fact that we have 30,000 denominations, one of the great tragedies is that in a certain sense, we've turned Christ into a polygamist. I, I once heard it said by a, a widely known and widely respected Catholic theologian, Father John Harden, he said that every split in Christendom comes down to a dispute about the nature of marriage. And we can see that very evidently in the Anglican split. Again, that is not to say there aren't beautiful elements and wonderful goodness in the Anglican tradition. The Catholic Church recognizes that, and that's why it has set up this ordinariate in which Anglicans can retain those traditions and be in full union with the universal church. Um, but it is to, to recognize that what Paul says in Ephesians 5, the one flesh union of husband and wife is a great mystery that refers to Christ and the church. Well, what does that mean? It means our Christology and our ecclesiology. That means the study of Christ, the study of the church, Christology, ecclesiology. Our Christology and ecclesiology are directly impacted for good or for ill in the manner in which we understand and live out the call of the two to become one flesh. Why does the church, back to this Henry VIII issue and the Pope not granting this divorce and annulment, why does the church not so much say that divorce is wrong, but rather that divorce of a valid marriage, the end of a valid marriage, is impossible? Why? Why is it impossible? Precisely because of what Paul says in Ephesians 5, the one flesh union is a great mystery that refers to Christ and the church. To admit that a husband can leave his wife and, or a wife can leave her husband and end a valid marriage is to say in one and the same stroke, Christ has left the church or the church has left Christ and both are impossible. This is what is at stake when we really understand Ephesians 5. I would believe that in all of that you're sharing, Hannah, you are stumbling onto these truths. You are seeing the implication of an understanding of sexuality for an understanding of the church. And this is why the, the breakdown of the understanding of sexuality in the Anglican church is causing you such heartache and turmoil. Uh, I've said a lot of things that you didn't even ask me to, to, to speak into, but I was inspired to based on just your circumstances. But after all that, said, Hannah, let me zoom back to your actual question. Do I have any words of encouragement or exhortation for you to be a light in the Anglican Church? Yes, yes. Continue to dive in to what you're learning about theology of the body and continue to share it. There are many, many people in the Anglican Church like you who are taking this up, learning it, and sharing it. And I want to point you to a married couple I know in, in London— uh, I, I know you said you're, you're living in England yourself. Nikki and Scylla Lee, uh, they're part of Holy Trinity Brompton, and they've started the marriage course, which is an excellent dive into God's plan for man and woman. And this marriage course is offered around the world. 
Uh, I'd invite you to look them up and get yourself plugged in with what they are doing in the Anglican Church. Uh, they would be a, a great resource for you. And Hannah, if you would reach out to Nikki and Scylla Lee and their marriage course, uh, you can tell them that I sent you their way. Uh, I'm friends with them. I've known them for a number of years, and I'm sure they would be happy to plug you in and uh, just be of assistance to you in the Anglican communion, mm. living out the good news of the theology of the body. I, I hope that's of some help to you. Wendy, do you want to share anything? I just want to encourage you, Hannah. I I was just struck by the the maturity of your sense of your marriage and your bond with your husband that kind of came across almost between the lines of your question, that um, sense of being deeply connected to truth, to prayer, to your husband, to a sense of receiving gifts and wanting to share them with others, that all of that is inspiring and hopeful and we don't know just as you don't know how the lord exactly is going to use that but we can just see in the little bit you've shared the strength of your marriage is already a gift to the anglican church and to the people you meet in ways that you can't know but it is and so i pray for your peace in that in continuing to protect your own marriage from um, just the attacks that come against it and remaining grounded together with your husband in loving the Lord, loving the truth, desiring heaven, desiring true ministry here on this earth that we would all be together in one unity in heaven, all of those things that are just contained in the way your person has come across in this question are are such an encouragement to me and to Christopher and to our listeners. So may God bless you. Bless you, Hannah. Thank you for reaching out to us. I hope we gave you some food for thought anyway. Our next question is from a listener named Deborah. She says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. I thank you for these podcasts. I don't know why. I was always interested in the way the church sees sexuality. As a teenager, I always wanted to explain to my friends why it was important to wait until marriage for sexual relationships, but I didn't have any arguments or knowledge. And now I understand a lot of things. And I see the most important is the love and mercy God has for us. I don't know if I can help others, but in the meantime, I've discovered this is helping me a lot. But here's my question. I'm a high school teacher. I have a 17-year-old student. Her name is Anna, but she says she wants to become a man. In the school, she wants to be called like a boy, and she is really serious about it. She says her family doesn't agree with this idea. She feels they don't understand her. I think I'm the only teacher that doesn't want to call and treat her like a boy. Some teachers think we don't have to say she feels like a boy. They think she actually is a boy in a girl's body. She is a he, and all this gender ideology. They really think they're helping her. I think she suffers and feels hurt, and she doesn't really know what she wants. I don't know how to help her, how to talk to her without her feeling rejected. I like what you always say, become what you are. But in today's world, this may mean another thing. What would you do in this situation? 
Deborah, God bless you. You're in a very, very difficult situation. And I'm glad you pointed this out about our little sign-off on our podcast, Become What You Are, uh, because the it does have a different meaning depending on, I'm thinking of Bill Clinton, it depends what the meaning of the word is, is. <laughs> Right. Well, it does. It depends. Become what you are depends on the meaning of what you are. Yeah. Right. And the world thinks that what you are is what you think you are. Mm. And this goes back to the rupture in the modern world that comes from Rene Descartes dictum. I think, therefore, I am. When Rene Descartes posited human identity in thought, our identity became dependent on what we think of ourselves rather than what we are objectively apart from what we may or may not think of ourselves. And so the dictum, I think, therefore I am, has become in the modern world, I think, therefore I am whatever I think I am. Well, this is nothing but pure subjectivism. It is nothing but the playing out in history of the original temptation and lie that we will be happy by making ourselves our own gods. When we realize we are creatures, that we are not our own gods, but we are creatures made by God, then what we are in our deepest being is what God made us to be. And what God made us to be is revealed made visible, that's what revealed means, unveiled or made visible, in and through the body, right? This woman is a woman because her body made by God reveals that truth. So where we are in agreement, and this is where I think you could have an in here, Deborah, to, to gently, tenderly, lovingly begin a conversation. You can begin a conversation in agreement that she experiences a rupture between her inner and outer being, right? So you can start by saying, I see that, I recognize that, uh, and this must cause you great suffering to be a person of compassion in that suffering. What a terrible burden to, to carry a, a sense of disintegration between my, my outer and my inner being. But whereas she has fallen into the ideology that says, in order to reconcile the inner and outer being, let's rearrange the outer being with drugs and, and medical intervention, which really amounts to bodily mutilation, let's call it what it is, that's the world solution, whereas the solution, the Christian solution is the recognition that the inner reality that is not integrated with the outer reality can be inwardly healed and transformed. Why, why, do, we, why do we go in the direction of thinking the solution when there is an outer and inner conflict between my, my sense of myself outwardly and inwardly, why do we think the solution is outward mutilation and, and change rather than inward healing and transformation? And I believe it's because we have replaced faith in our redemption through Jesus Christ 
in the modern world, we've replaced that with faith in technology and science to solve all my problems. Mm. Science and technology cannot solve the inner problem, and it can only give the appearance of solving things through an outer transformation. I, I think, Deborah, you have the opportunity to enter into a genuine conversation by affirming the pain, by affirming the conflict, and then suggesting lovingly, tenderly, gently, maybe the solution is not an outward transformation through science and technology, but an inner transformation through a relationship of love with the God who made you, who knows who you really are, and has the power to enable you to become who you really are. Wendy, do you have any thoughts you want to share here? Deborah, I, I know that you are bearing some suffering in this situation, especially that your colleagues are just not seeing this situation as you are. And that can just be a painful thing to be going to work each day and feeling alone in um, bearing this really difficult situation. And there's a lot wrong here, as Christopher was saying, about just the girl's belief about um, who she really is. But also the sort of deception toward the family, you know, to kind of do this at school despite her parents not um, supporting it. Well, even if they supported it, it still would be wrong, but it, it adds to the problem that that there's um, just a kind of school is is becomes like the safe place of, apart from this girl's family, and they probably really love her and want what is good for her not um, and see that this is not good. It is such a a difficulty. So I really want to just acknowledge that you are bearing a suffering and and it can be very burdensome if we don't connect with the Lord in that bearing of suffering for someone. So as you are, you know, taking whatever hits you feel you are taking, whether they're in direct action or just in the dynamics of relating with your the other teachers, um, I really want to encourage you to continually pray to the Lord that you would um, be a light in this school, that he would give you the strength to be that light, that what you are suffering would benefit the body of Christ, would benefit the student body, would benefit these teachers who have bought the lies of the culture. Um, so I, I wanted to just give you a sense that... Um, even if it seems like there's nothing you can do, you are already shining a light. You are already bearing something that um, our faith teaches us has value for redemption. Deborah, I also have three books I would like to recommend to you. One would be my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. In the 2018 edition, I have a brand new chapter on the gender identity question. Oh, yes, very good. And I'd recommend two other books, one by Ryan T. Anderson called When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment. This book, sadly, was actually banned by Amazon, uh, which probably jolted it into the bestseller category. Um, 
And then there's another book called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters by Abigail Schreier. Uh, Wendy, you read that book, didn't you? I did. And it doesn't come from a Christian perspective, but in some ways that is helpful because it can reach more people, um, you know, with just the concern about why is there such a large number of girls in particular who are questioning uh, their identity as girls and women. Do we have another question, love? Uh, yes, a question from a listener named Alex. Hello, Alex. Alex asks, what is the Catholic view on arranged marriages, assuming free will and consent of both parties? This has been the norm for marriages throughout history, including in the Bible itself, and is still common in many Eastern cultures. And one could argue that marriages focused on, quote, romantic love is a modern phenomenon. Does the implicit transactional aspect of such an arrangement make it sinful? Does it make the union less a gift of self, since the couple may not have grown in love yet? Or is romantic love not necessary for a holy marriage, and it's precisely therefore it becomes a true gift of self? Surely, since it's been the norm through history, the Catholic Church must have blessed such unions. Alex, I'm glad you raised this question. It's one I enjoy answering because it allows me to kind of get into the nitty-gritties of what makes a valid marriage. And I can tell, Alex, from the way you asked the question that you have a, a general understanding of these nitty-gritties. You mentioned that uh, free will... Free will and consent. And yeah. consent mm -hmm. have to be there. And that is exactly correct. An arranged marriage that was forced upon a couple against their will would not be a valid marriage. But you can have a valid marriage that has been arranged by the parents in the traditional sense of what that means, that the bride and the groom freely consent to. And that can be and would be, given all the other circumstances are in place, that would be a valid marriage. And I do think there's an argument that can be made that I, would, I wouldn't say, I don't want to denigrate romantic love. Um, I would say rather romanticized love is, is maybe an invention of the modern world where we put too much emphasis on romance. We put too much emphasis on sentiment. We put too much emphasis on falling in love in the sense that the a secular understanding would bring to it. I'm all for falling in love, in, but in a deep sense. And in an arranged marriage, you could have a situation where a bride and a groom are meeting each other for the first time on their wedding day, in which they are freely giving their consent to this marriage. I know it sounds strange to Western thinking. Uh, it's not the way I would have wanted to enter marriage, uh, no, thank you. Yeah, not the, not the way. <laughs> glad Wendy, you wouldn't want not want, <laughs> no, no. not have wanted to enter that either. But it doesn't invalidate it in itself, and it does shine a light on a truth that, given free consent to this arranged marriage, one can fall in love with this person. It's it's uh, love. I'll, here, I'll quote John Paul II. And this is true. Even You and I were in love when we got married. Mm -hmm. We fell in love and got married. But 
you and I both know that in 26 years, our love has matured, even to the point that we can look back at what we called love when we were dating and engaged, and we can say, oh my gosh, compared to what we know now and the love we have for one another now, that was barely even love. And it was so weak in so many ways and so incomplete in so mm -hmm. many ways. And guess what? It still is weak in so many ways and incomplete in so many ways because, and here's what I want to quote from John Paul II. I love this. He says, love never is. It is always only, only becoming. just becoming. Right. Yes. Always only just becoming. So I think if we if we really enter into what that means and what does it mean, love never is. What he's saying there is love is never complete. Love is not love has never arrived. You can never say, now I know this is the fullness of love. Even in eternity, love will always be continuing to grow precisely because love is something infinite. God is love and God is infinite. That means there's always more to discover. So when we understand that, we can see the real possibility of a man and a woman who freely consent to an arranged marriage through parents whom they know and love and trust, their wisdom, their insight, that this would be a good spouse for me. I mean, all those things need, need to be in place to make this work, right? But in such a situation, there really could be a love that becomes, that, that grows, that flowers, that blooms, that becomes real and genuine, conjugal love that images the love of the Trinity and participates in the love of Christ for the church. I, I agree with you that it is when you said about as for Westerners, it seems hard to imagine. It is hard for me to imagine. And I also think it certainly is very much probably abused in the world yes, as you yes, just yes. outlined all this, you know, yes, it's loving, very, yes, very important to acknowledge that not always the case and it's that makes it that much more complicated to even understand I, I i confess my western formation in this where i to understand what does that look like to be to freely consent i did have a friend in college and i'll just share this quickly who was a lifelong catholic but also was um an indian man who had been born in india i met him in America, though, in college. And he enlightened me a little bit about arranged marriage in that he said in his culture, he has just been formed to believe that he can trust his family members to be really have his best interest at heart, almost in a way that he couldn't entirely trust himself, that if he just went with his own interest in a woman that he might not look at the situation in as full a way as his family would. And that gave him a sense of peace. And uh, like an, like it felt like an expression of love to him to have his family arrange a marriage. So that was helpful to my Western brain to get that perspective. Um, yeah, but it, so I think I'm not adding to your answer. I'm just saying something that you are was, adding to the answer. I think with a, with a concrete example and it, 
I think the important point you brought out, Wendy, is that the possibility of abuse here is great. Yeah. But that just because there's the possibility, a, a big possibility of abuse, does not mean that it couldn't. Right. Couldn't be a situation that it's could good. is good yeah. and could be could work and be blessed by God. Right, right. And history history shows both. Yeah. Well. If you have been blessed by what you've heard in today's episode, hit that share button and help us spread this podcast to an even wider audience. We love that you guys are part of this podcast family. We're so grateful for your questions. Keep sending them our way. You remain in our prayers. Please keep us in yours. And as we always say, may you know it deep in your bones that you are an unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, A list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.